0: The big, the big Issue. I meant to bring a copy. I've got one at home, but I've forgotten this. But you'll have seen them being sold on the streets of Gloucester and many other places. So what is, the, what is the Big Issue? Well, for the people who produce the Big Issue, there it is. The Big Issue exists to dismantle poverty by creating opportunity. And we'd say that is a Big Issue. There are many people, uh, not just those on the streets, but there are many people who are facing poverty, even in our rich, uh, united kingdom. But obviously, in the story today, in the reading today, we see there is a big issue. I wonder what the big issue is for us as a country, I guess. Judging by the amount of media attention and all the rest of it, I guess we'd say Brexit. I'm not going to say any more about it, but I guess we'd say Brexit is a big issue for us. And it is, because it doesn't just affect the present, but uh, it's going to have implications for the future. Sometimes things that we think are big issues are not big issues. Sometimes we really get, particularly at night, don't we, we can get really twirled up about things... And things go round and round in our heads and in the morning it you know, may be still an issue, but it's nowhere near as big as it was a few hours ago. And and we uh, there are issues that confront us as a church and sometimes we think they're really big and sometimes they are important, other times not so. Just as a, a throwaway comment. But it seems to me that from my own personal experience, as well as one or two other churches I've known, that often the things that divide churches are not big issues. Not to say that there is not some, an important issue, but it's not that important. And we need to remember that Jesus said that we are to love one another. That is a big issue. But let's look at their big issue. So the big issue for them, of course, was this whole issue of circumcision. Unless you are circumcised according to the customs taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So these Gentile believers, these non-Jews who had become believers, through hearing the gospel message, we're now told it's not enough. You need to be, you men, you need to be circumcised and to then follow the teachings and the customs of Moses. Is this me that's, is it me where I've got the microphone? Th- pull it down lower. Do you want to come and show me? Is that better? Okay. Right. Thank you. Um, It's not sufficient. You need to be circumcised. And that was obviously a big issue for the church in Antioch, which is where this has arisen, which is in Syria. But of course it was a big issue for the church as a whole. Let's just do a very quick recap. Today, by the way, we're, we're, we're coming to the last, not the end of Acts, obviously, but we're pausing Acts for a few weeks or uh, so, until until next year. Let's just do a very, very quick recap over the first 14 chapters of Acts. This will be quick, of course. So, 20, this is a period of 20 years, basically. A period of 20 years. And uh, this, is, this is Antioch, by the way, today uh, in, in Syria. Still a big city, and it was an important city in these days as well. So this is where the, is where the problem uh, surfaced, although it was going to surface in many other places and in many other times as well. But this is where, it, it, where we find today. So we go back, we go back 20 years, and the gospel is preached in Jerusalem. Pentecost has come. The Holy Spirit has been given. And those believers receiving the Holy Spirit, start witnessing first with Peter on the day of Pentecost, and then in the days and weeks and months that, f- that follow. And so we see many people, many Jewish people, coming to faith in Jerusalem where that little red cross is there. And and wonderful things happen. Many people believed. There is opposition. The apostles are arrested and given a thorough beating. Um, and then persecution breaks out further. And particularly we see in Jerusalem, we see Stephen, one of those early Christians, being martyred. Because, simply because he was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that day, great persecution breaks out. It says then that the believers, many of the believers, left Jerusalem and they went out into Judea and Samaria. Now Judea is more or less Israel as well. He's got Judea on the map, but it's both north and south of Jerusalem. That's the area that those believers went out, and further north they went into Samaria too, and the gospel was preached there. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but other people were scattered. And as a result, we have more Jews believing in Judea, but we also have Samaritans coming to faith in Samaria, and then later in, in Acts, we have this uh, situation. We have this. We have Peter, don't we, who has this vision? Peter the apostle, who's still in. Um, no, he's not in Jerusalem at the time. Peter has this vision of a sheet of unclean animals come down in front of him, and in the vision, he's told to eat the unclean animals, things like pigs, which of course Jews were not to eat, forbidden in the Jewish law, in the law of Moses, unclean. And Peter says, no, I can't, it's against my religion, I can't eat them. And the voice says to him, um, don't call anything unclean that God has made clean. And we know that this vision that Peter was given was to prepare him for the fact that very quickly a man or men were come to come knocking on his door from Caesarea, which is up in the north of Israel, and ask to see Peter and ask to hear about the gospel message. And Peter goes and meets with Cornelius, doesn't he? And he's explaining to them the gospel message message when all of a sudden he doesn't you might hope this happens today i don't know he doesn't get to the end of his sermon he doesn't get to the end of his message because while he's still speaking to them about the gospel the holy spirit comes on those people there and the people that are with peter say wow look at this it reread in Acts 10.45, the circumcised believers, these are Jews, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, even on the Gentiles. That's what they record. Well, this caused a great big stir back in Jerusalem as well, that Gentiles had now become Believers. They said to Peter, you went into the house of uncircumcised men? You did what, Peter? You went, you went into the house with non-Jews? We don't see this as a big thing, but this was an incredibly big thing at that time. Peter had to explain himself. And he convinced them that, how, that it was true that he had seen God, the Holy Spirit, at work and so they ended up concluding that so then god has granted even the gentiles repentance and of course then as we've read in more recent weeks paul who is one of the people who is persecuting the church at the forefront of having men and women arrested and taken into prison simply they become christ become christians he himself meets doesn't he with the lord jesus on the road to damascus and he himself becomes a disciple and then and then as the, he, of course, is one of the main ones that we have read last week, who starts then taking the gospel into this area that we now call Turkey. And, in the, and when we come back to Acts, we'll see, of course, how it goes across to Greece. And people become Christians who are not Jews. And most notably in Antioch, which is in the top right hand of the picture. Where, Christ, where Jews preach to Greeks and Greeks become believers. And it's in Antioch that Paul and Barnabas are sent, it's to Antioch, Antioch rather, Paul and Barnabas are sent to deal with these Greeks or to, or to teach further these Greeks that have believed and a great number of them believed. And we read that they spent a whole year there teaching This mixed church, a church that consists of both Jews and Gentiles. And we know, as Roger shared a few weeks back, that even the leadership of this church were from many different places, many different backgrounds. It was a real multicultural church. And uh, and I'm sure it was many, many challenges, but I'm sure wonderful in in many ways. Things are going great in Antioch. And then we come to our chapter today where suddenly these people, Judaizers, arrive and they say, and these are people who believe that Jesus, these are Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe that. They come along and they say, yes, it's great that you Gentiles have believed, but you need to come become like us. You need to be circumcised as an outward a demonstration that you have accepted the covenant and that you're going to follow the teachings and customs of Moses. And this was a really big issue for the church. The church had faced much in the way of external opposition, but now there's a real problem from within the church itself between believers. A big issue for the church in Antioch and a big issue for the whole church And this has been an issue right the way through the history. Not the issue of circumcision. That's not an issue for us today. Nobody's coming along, thank goodness, and saying, you Gentile believers in Abbey Church, you need to be circumcised and you need to follow the law. No one's coming along and saying that. But the issue of what is the gospel has been an issue right through the history of the church. Big issues. What are, what is the reality of the gospel? And what is, the, what is it all about? What is the gospel? And what is the reach of the gospel? Who is it for? Let's just briefly look at those together. First of all, the reality of the gospel. So, verses 6 to 11. Let's turn to those. Have you got your Bibles open? Chapter 15 of Acts. So they all come together, and Paul and Barnabas and this other group from Antioch have gone back to Jerusalem, 350 odd miles away, say, from uh, Antioch, and they've gone. And then there's this big powwow, this big council, the council at Jerusalem, where they meet to discuss this question. And Peter stands up, doesn't he, in verse 7, and he says this. He says, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. So he's referring back to that time when he went to Cornelius' house, this uh, Roman centurion. From my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And the thing he's saying that's very clear there is, he? he's saying, look, this gospel, it's all of God's doing. It's all of God's initiation. It's all about his actions. He's the one who has given us the gospel message. The gospel is all about God. It's not... It's not something that we've worked out. It's not something that we've created. It's not something that we've invented ourselves. It's not a new religion that man has has made up. This gospel is all from God. He's the one who purified their Gentile hearts by faith, just as he did for us. It's all about God, his initiation his action, his grace that enabled us to be put right with God. And then he goes on and says, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples, this is on the Gentile disciples, a a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The gospel message, the message of God's grace in the salvation that Jesus brought is the way that people are put right with God. Our way, or the way that you're suggesting, leads nowhere. You, if you follow this through, you're, it's as if you're going to put shackles on these Gentiles believers because you're saying to them that the gospel is not sufficient. The gospel that we preach, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that he's given us is not sufficient for them to be put right with God. They need to do something else. And you know what? They can't. They cannot do what you're asking them to do. We've not been able to do it. We've, we and our nation and our history have shown that we are not able to get right by God by completing and by following the law. It it has not worked. It leads nowhere. Just to a recognition that we are failures. We cannot do it. We fail. We become like slaves. We cannot get free. And you know, today, all around the world, there are probably billions of people who are trying to get right with God by doing that in effect. By being good enough for God. By following certain ways that will in a sense earn them credit or sufficient credit to get right with God. So I remember talking with one of the Syrian guys and he said it with a sort of smile but it wa- I knew he was serious. He was saying On this side, on this shoulder, are the things that I've done, the good things that I've done. And here are the things that I've done wrong. And I hope that when I die, there'll be more good things than will be bad things. And that Allah will accept me. And that's the story of religion, religions across the world that people by their own efforts are trying to get right with God by living good lives. And there are many people who do seek to good luck, give <laughs> live good lives. I'm not knocking that. But however good we are or think we are, it doesn't put us right with God. God. And that's also true for lots of people who are in church. And it can even be true for you and I. That although we know the gospel, just like these Jewish believers had believed in the Messiah, we somehow think it's not enough. We somehow think we've got to live certain ways, do certain things. And if we don't do that, we're bad. That is not the gospel. The gospel is that Christ has done everything necessary to put us right with God. However we live, whatever we've done, whatever we do, the gospel is that if we trust in what Jesus has done, that is sufficient all on its own to put us right with God. And so Peter finishes, doesn't he, by saying, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved, just as they are. That was a big issue for the church then, and it's been a big issue for the church throughout its history as to what is the gospel and what is not the gospel. Here you go. Know, recognize that man. It's got a date of 1535 on there. So that's, uh, how many years? That's 18 years after the man nailed his 95 theses to the door in Germany. That's Martin Luther. That's one of his better pictures um, from the ones I've seen. But anyway, Martin Luther. And this was the issue, wasn't it, really, 500 years ago? The issue is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? What is, what is the fundamentals of our faith? and you'll, many of you will recognize those. These are five, the five things, the five solas that came out of the Gospel. Sola Scriptura, that the Bible is our final source of all authority. It's not the Bible and what the Pope says. It's not the Bible and church traditions or Abbey church traditions. It's the Bible is the only place that we find where we get our final authority as to what we believe and what is true. Sola gratia. It's God's grace through which we're saved, not our own human efforts. Sola fide. It's by faith putting our trust in what Jesus Christ has done. Solus Christus, that it is just and only through Jesus Christ that we come to God the Father. There's no other way. Sola Deo Gloria, And it is all for His glory and His glory alone. That issue has been with us throughout the ages. And that's... Yeah, Sorry, right, I realize I've turned over a page, but it doesn't matter. Let's keep going. So this was the issue that confronted them. And it's the issue that confronts us now. Paul, in his, in his letter to the Roman church, wrote these words. And the book of Romans and the book of Galatians are very much to do with this whole subject, of course. And in Romans chapter 1, right at the beginning of his letter to the Roman church, he wrote this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This, of course, this passage and other passages in Romans were what Martin Luther really came to terms with and got hold of. And that came to see that it was only through the faith in what jesus Christ, faith in, in what Jesus Christ has done that we could be put right with God that we could be made righteous, put right with God, through faith in that Jews and Gentiles needed to be saved all of them, and in chapters one and two of Romans, he deals first with First with Gentiles and then with Jews, and says that, look, all of you need to be saved. All of you need to be put right with God, and this is the only way. How do we get right? The Bible says, all of us, in Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 24, your verses that you know well. Let's just read them together. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All have sinned. All of us have sinned. All can believe. There's the opportunity for all to believe in the lord jesus christ and his finished work as a result all can be made righteous declared not guilty how many people on their deathbeds are thinking where will they be what will what it, what lies ahead they know they're dying what lies ahead How many of them are thinking, what sort of life have I lived? Is there enough good deeds there? Will God accept me? Well, the truth, the wonderful truth is, we don't have to ask that question. The simple question is, is my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done? Because in that case, We are declared not guilty even though we are guilty. We're declared not guilty and we're declared righteous. There's a lovely quote here. This is Tim Keller in New York. By the looks of it, which is where he's based. The gospel is this. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's the wonder of the gospel. We know we're sinners, but he's saying, and it's true, isn't it, we're more sinful than even we ever would want to acknowledge, ever we could acknowledge. We only see some of our failings, and that's bad enough. But at the same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. know that to be true is that true for you don't hear it very often i remember people in the past coming up to me i can remember being slightly embarrassed as well at times they come up and say are you saved (gasps) are you saved are you right with god do you know you're right with god well we know this morning how we can become right with god And that is open to each and every one of us. And the people at Antioch were glad to receive that message. Let's very quickly, just in closing, just look at this, the reach of the gospel. Who is it for? And then James stands up in Acts chapter 15, doesn't he? And James, this is the brother of Jesus And he stands up after Peter, and he says, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. In ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. So James quotes a passage from the book of Amos, written 700 odd years before. And he said, you know, this passage tells us this is sola scriptura in a way. Isn't he's turning back to the scriptures and he's saying, look, we, Peter saw the evidence of God at work in those Gentiles. But I tell you what, this also agrees with what scripture says. And he looks at this passage, I'm sure he could have looked at many others too, that point to the fact that, and, they, and the Jews realized, knew before, before Jesus came, the Jews knew and accepted that this was a passage about the coming Messiah. And he said that when the Messiah comes, there will be a restoration, not of the kingdom of Israel, something much, much bigger and grander than that, something immeasurably more than that. This will be the restoration of all things. And in that restoration, there will be Jews and there will be Gentiles. There will be people from all nations. And if you go and look at the passage in Amos, the wider passage, you'll see there it talks about the wonderful peace we've been talking about this morning, the peace that will be in the world and the prosperity and the blessings that will be in the world because of the Messiah and for all those who found him to be their Messiah. The reach of the gospel. The gospel is for all people everywhere. And that's a wonderful story. Build bridges, not walls. That's what somebody got took the name. Actually, I re- only realized when I was looking at this, he wasn't christened Martin Luther King. He was christened Michael King. But he had his dad decided to change his name when he was five years old to Martin Luther King because of the Martin Luther, of course. Build bridges, not walls. And we know, of course, how he did that, particularly in terms of building bridges between the different Americans. We are called to build bridges and not walls. You see, if we turn to chapter 16, just turn over the page very quickly, we see a very strange thing. We see Paul, who's fought, argued, believed implicitly that there was no need for people to be circumcised. It was of no value whatsoever. It would do no good. It would actually ruin the gospel, as he writes in, in Galatians. And yet here in chapter 16, what do we see Paul doing? He says, well, we'll come back to it in a few weeks' time, or maybe a few months' time, when we pick up Acts again. We see Paul about to go on his next missionary journey. And what's he doing? He's taking Timothy. Timothy's a Greek. And what does he do? He circumcises Timothy. What? Paul. You told us that we didn't need to be circumcised. You said we must not be circumcised because that will ruin the gospel. We'll, we'll lose what the gospel is all about if we are. And yet here you are circumcising Timothy. Why, why are you doing that? Are you a hypocrite? Are you a coward? Why did you do that? He did it because he wanted the gospel to go to the Jews as well. And where he was going, he didn't want Timothy's not being circumcised to be a hindrance to the gospel. Paul in Corinthians writes, Though I am free, I belong to no man. I make myself a slave to everyone. Why? To win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. I've become all things to all men. So that by all means I might save some. What's the reach of the gospel? The gospel is for all. All. And we see that, don't we? We could look, we could all think how this was so true, wasn't it, in the life of Jesus, who made himself a friend of sinners, going places, being with people that other people tutted about, so that he might bring to those people, the sick people that other people call them, the sick, the sinful, that he might bring the gospel, the opportunity for his grace to work in their lives. We need to build bridges, not walls. What would that look like for us as a church? What would we do differently if we really wanted to build bridges to people that are not going to come into this building or any other church building? What would we do differently? What would I do differently if I really wanted that to be the case? If that was the most important thing, if that was the big issue, that people who are lost for eternity should hear the gospel that God has given for all people. Just close this guy. Anybody know who that is? Sorry? No. But you're a good guess. This is a British man. This is Hudson Taylor. This is Hudson Taylor who became a Christian through a brethren assembly like where we've come from in our past. And he became so, the gospel became was so real to him that he knew people, and out of his response and love for God, he wanted to share the gospel. And he lived initially in London, in the poor areas of London, working with the poor, preaching on street corners, living with them. But then he realized that there were many people outside of the UK who needed to hear the gospel, and he went to China. And he came in for a lot of stick in China, Not from the Chinese, but from the Brits. This was the height of the British Empire, 1860s. Do you know why? Because he lived like a Chinese. He dressed like a Chinese man with pigtails. He insisted that all the missionary ate Chinese food in the way that Chinese people eat food. You know, that's with chopsticks. He lived... Not in a mansion, not in the houses that all the other Brits lived in, China, in, in in China. He lived in ordinary Chinese dwelling. His wife had to walk behind him as he walked along the street. Not because he, he thought she was inferior, because that's what the Chinese did. He did everything He did everything. Let us in everything unsinful become Chinese that by all means that we may save some. Let's adopt their costume, acquire their language, study to imitate their habits and approximate to their diet as far as health and constitution will allow. Let us live in their houses making no unnecessary alterations. Let's become like the Chinese so that this great nation can hear the gospel so that they can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is for us, what sacrifices are we willing to make so that the gospel can find its root through us to people that are not going to come to church? Not first off, and maybe not for a long time. So that they might know that there's a Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for them so that they could be put right with God for this life and for the age to come. May God open our eyes to the wonders, again, to the wonders of the gospel and to how we should respond to it.